Good evening. Uh, my name's Alistair, for those of you who don't know me. Um, I'm not on the programme, as you will have noticed. It's uh, wonderful to be here with you to celebrate and hear the most important story in the whole of history, which you've just had read to us. The coming of Jesus Christ, the God of heaven, the light of the world, the creator of the universe, who stepped down from his heavenly throne to enter the darkness of the earth as a man to provide a way for us to know him and to have a relationship with him. Uh, before I start, I should warn you that there will be tears uh, because I'm an emotional man and what I must share is very emotional for me. I'm also very tired, so please bear with me if at times I falter. You may find that you need your hankies too. And the first thing that I've realised is that I've forgotten the most important part, which is if Millie could bring up for me, that would be great. Thank you, sweetheart. That's it. <laughs> it's a good start. <laughs> Thank you. Tonight, um, I would like to tell you something of the life of a remarkable man who's very dear to me. And that man is the man I'm proud to call my father, Ian Gilbert Gibson, who was born on the 8th of February, 1927. This photo was taken in September of this year, and what I think you will notice most about him is the warmth of his smile. My father was not a saint. He had his faults, like all of us. He was a man of immense physical strength, a powerful intellect, and great moral integrity, of whom it was often said that he was a larger-than-life character, a loyal friend, a devoted husband, and a loving, if at times rather stern, father and eventually a doting and very gentle grandfather. Above all, a joyful man. After living and being educated in Surrey, he joined the Royal Naval Voluntary Reserve and served in minesweepers in the North Atlantic. Following that, he became one of the first seven veterinary students at Cambridge University. And it was here that he met the two great loves of his life. Firstly, his future wife, Shirley, who was teaching at the time at King's College Choir School. And secondly, he came to enduring faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said that he came to give life in all its fullness to those who choose to follow him. And this was certainly true for my father. He felt a calling to serve in the colonial service, which eventually led to his being awarded an MBE for services to veterinary medicine in Africa. And shortly after they were married, my parents left for Kenya, or Kenya as it then was, where he worked as a district veterinary officer in some very remote rural districts. The courage and faith of my mother, who'd barely been outside of the UK, in agreeing to accompany him on this adventure was really quite extraordinary. I'd love to tell you more about her, but time doesn't permit. Dad was captain of the local rugby team in Machakas, and one day when I was six, week, six weeks old, after playing a match in Nairobi, he returned to the changing room to find an African man running off with his kit bag now, Dad didn't really know the meaning of fear and immediately gave chase. But, unfortunately, there was a glass bottle of squash in his bag and the, that the man withdrew, smashed, and thrust in his face. Because of this, he lost his right eye. 
His teammates vowed to avenge this assault, but Dad was having none of it. He told me that throughout this time, he felt cradled in the arms of his Heavenly Father in an extraordinary way, which gave him the strength to forgive and to face the future. His subsequent career as a one-eyed referee was not perhaps as successful as his time as a player. Jesus also said that a man's life does not exist in the abundance of his possessions, which is not something that our Western society today would understand. Dad was a frugal man who sacrificed much to enable my sister Kate and I to be given the best possible education. After his retirement, Dad was for many years the liaison officer for the Diocese of Salisbury's link with the Sudan. And it was during a pastoral visit with the Bishop of Salisbury and his wife that he saw the profound truth of Jesus' words. Arriving by small plane at a remote village in Sudan of the Dinka tribe, they were met at the airstrip by the entire village, made guests of honor, and were each given a beautiful hand-carved cross. This was to become one of his most treasured possessions, and I have it here. These people had nothing in material terms, and their village was regularly bombed by government forces. And yet, they were overwhelmingly generous and had abundant joy because they knew and loved Jesus. Now, you will probably have heard it said that faith is contrary to reason, but that is absolutely not the case. My father was a classic scholar who had to learn science from scratch after he left school to fulfill his desire to be a vet. So he had considerable intellectual capacity. He marveled at creation and took great delight in it. As a vet, in the words of Psalm 139, he could truly say, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. All your works are wonderful. I know that full well. He never ceased to be amazed at the precision of the design and complexity of all creatures. This amazement also extended to a love of landscape, especially mountains and the sea. He had a boundless curiosity and became an accomplished self-taught geographer, bird watcher, and master yachtsman. His favorite saying, which he repeated regularly, with an awed shake of his head, was, what a wonderful world. Dad was diagnosed with late-onset Alzheimer's about two years ago and gradually lost the power to speak. In the last six months or so, his vocabulary was reduced to perhaps five or six words. I would take him out for a drive every couple of weeks in the Dorset countryside he cherished to look at the sheep and cows that he loved and worked with after our return from Kenya. He never failed to say, marvelous, marvelous. He was, truly, a joyful man. Now, some of you are probably asking yourselves why on earth I'm standing here at a carol service telling you about the life of a man who many of you have never met. Well, the thing is that as well as sharing something of his life, I also want to share something of his death. He died five days ago at the age of 90. He was held 
in my and my sister's arms and passed away peacefully. He had become more and more weary as this year progressed and sorely missed his beloved wife, who died five years ago and at whose death we were all present. He was absolutely ready to go. I am certain that death held no fear for Dad, since he had absolute assurance of where he was going because of his faith in Jesus. Shortly before his own death, Jesus said to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas, dear doubting Thomas, said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How did Jesus make a way to the Father for us? In short, through his death on the cross. Notice this. The cross is empty because, having taken all the darkness and wrongdoing of mankind on himself, Jesus died and rose again to eternal life. I don't have the time or the erudition to expound the theology of the cross here, but I can assure you of this. The more you consider it, the more you will be overwhelmed by the perfection and beauty of this sacrificial act. And what you might ask of my journey of faith? Well, in a sense, I have never been a non-believer, but like the prodigal son, for many years, I walked away and apart from God. Through the wonder and joy of the birth of my eldest daughter, Felicity, known as Flick, God began to draw me back to himself, and a short while after my wife Penny committed her life to him, I too encountered Jesus in a new and powerful way, though not without quite a long struggle, during which time many of the people who are here tonight were praying for me. Penny and I and our daughters Felicity and Amelia have been a part of this loving church community for 20 years now, and it has brought such comfort to know that we are held in your love and prayers at this time. In truth, in recent times, my love for God grew dimmer as I became distracted by the busyness of life and the pleasures that this world has to offer. But God is gracious and good. And in the six days and nights of incredible privilege that I spent with my dad leading up to his death, taking turns with my amazing sister Kate and dad's wonderful Christian carer, Cheryl, and sharing a profoundly deep bonding experience with them. God drew near to me and drew me near to him again. At times, the experience of being with dad in his last days was harrowing, a harrowing one. God doesn't promise to take away our troubles or our pain, but as dad found when he lost his eye, he does promise to be with us every step of the way. And when we are at our weakest, he gives us his strength.
especially in the watches of the night as I sat with Dad, holding his hand, reading scripture over him, praying for him, and singing his favorite hymns. God's presence was incredibly powerful. I actually began to look forward to my alarm clock going off in the early hours of the morning so I could spend time in the presence of both my earthly and my heavenly fathers. One time that I will particularly cherish was last Sunday when Penny and my daughters, Flick and Millie, came down to see Dad. We spent several hours sitting around his bedside, laughing and crying and sharing some of our favorite memories of him. We even managed to sing one of his favorite songs, Louis Armstrong's Wonderful World, after a fashion and through many tears. Dad wasn't really conscious by this time, but I know that he was aware of our presence. When the time came for them to say their farewells, I reminded them that this was not a goodbye, but rather an au revoir, because they will see him again. One of the hymns that I sang to Dad over and over again was Abide With Me. And as at 11 o'clock last Tuesday morning, Kate and I released him from our arms into the arms of God, I'm sure that the words of the final verse became reality for him. Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In life, in death, O Lord, abide with me. I said earlier that Dad was a strong man, a tough man, and this was equally true of the bristles that he grew in the last week of his life. Kate and I wanted to ensure that Dad looked as he would have wished, and my last act for him, before the undertakers came to take him away, was to shave him. Kate offered to be with me, but I knew that I needed to do this by myself. I can't really begin to describe how incredibly precious and intimate this time was for me, but it will remain with me for the rest of my life. Having listened to one of Dad's favorite pieces of music, the Hebridean Overture by Mendelssohn, as I came to the end of this act of love and respect, I realized that there was only one piece of music that fitted the occasion. I put on the Hallelujah Chorus from Handel's Messiah at full volume. As I stood in Dad's bedroom, with tears streaming down my face, I was overwhelmed by a sense of joy as I knew with absolute certainty that Dad was in a place of indescribable beauty and light. Reunited with his beloved wife and rejoicing in the presence of the Lord he loved. And I could only lift my hands in praise and adoration. I'd like to play this for you now. And my prayer is that the truth of these words will sink deep into your hearts as you hear them.
King of kings and Lord of lords. That is what Jesus is, whose birth we celebrate at Christmas. And yet, this is the incredible thing. He invites us to have an intimate relationship with him and to become his sons and daughters. What does it cost to accept this invitation? Well, in a sense, nothing. It is available to everyone and it is free. And yet, in a sense, it costs everything because it requires us to surrender everything to him. But in return, he promises that he will walk with us every step of the way, give us fullness of life, peace in our hearts, and the assurance of his love for us. And at the end of our lives on this earth, we will spend eternity in his glorious presence. Why have I shared all this with you tonight at a time of great loss and vulnerability? In a word, because God asked me to. And I know this with as much conviction as I've, ever, as I've known anything in my walk with him. There is a cost in this to me and my family. And it is perhaps the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. But... If anything of what I've shared compels any of you who don't yet know him or whose love for him has dimmed to draw close to Jesus, this Christ mass, and to discover for yourselves that he is the truth, the way, and the life, then it will have been worth it. A final word about my father, and with this I end. This comes from an email that was sent to me by an assistant minister in his church. And if anything, half as profoundly affirming was spoken of me at the end of my life on earth, I would be truly honored. She said this of him. I can't think of another Christian who has lived more fully, charitably, and gloriously. Amen.